From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. During my career at Cree, we had the opportunity to help start the LED lighting revolution that obsoleted the incandescent light bulb and fundamentally changed how people use light. And when most people think of the LED lighting revolution, they think of the Cree LED light bulb, which was introduced in March 2013. But what they don't realize is that companies started working on what was initially called solid state lighting long before that. The first applications actually used high power red and amber LEDs for automotive brake lights and traffic signals. And what people don't see is what has to happen behind the scenes to create an industry from nothing. A product can't exist without an ecosystem. And we had to develop everything from new material systems and equipment to new distribution channels and marketing strategies to new regulations that would allow LEDs to be used in certain applications. When you have a really innovative idea, something that is far ahead of what the world is currently using, you have to work extremely hard to bring together all the pieces so that that idea can someday be realized. All at the same time, while the companies currently in the market are working to protect their old technology through legislation and marketing activities designed to slow you down and raise doubts in people's minds about the new technology. On today's episode, I speak with another industry leader who is also instrumental in helping create this ecosystem and bringing about the LED lighting revolution. He was first at HP and Agilent and later part of LumiLEDs, which was an early pioneer in commercial LED lighting technology. And eventually, he went on to be the CEO of BridgeLux and Animatics. And you'll hear in this episode, while he's at BridgeLux, our two companies were in a very contentious lawsuit against each other over intellectual property so you'll get some insight on another interesting and complicated side of the lighting revolution. Oh, and I forgot one thing. This other guy, he's my brother. That's right. My older brother, Mark Swoboda, was also in the LED industry, and we competed, mostly friendly, against each other for many years. But you hear that this competition didn't just start as adults. We dive into our upbringing, developing our competitive spirit from a young age, and what it was like to have a brother in the same industry as yourself. I'll leave you with a quote from a slightly more famous pair of brothers, the Wright brothers. If we all worked on the assumption that what is accepted as true is really true, there would be little hope of advance. That's what innovation is all about, making the impossible possible. Please note that Kate Treby, who's the director of eLead program at Marquette University, was the host for this episode so that Mark and I could be interviewed together and she could act as a referee in case things got out of hand. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. Mark, welcome to Innovators on Tap. And Chuck, thanks for switching to the guest side for this episode. It's fun to be over here on this side of the mic. So I know you were born 10 years apart. Who looks older? (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to ask all of our friends and business acquaintances. Most people would say that for some reason I look older, even though I am the younger one. 
And it seems to be my brother's favorite question to ask cab drivers while we're on vacation together. Unfortunately, I would have to admit that about eight out of 10 say he's the younger one. But that's because typically we have a hat and sunglasses on. (laughs) So if he takes the hat and sunglasses off, his odds go way down. Mark, do you agree with that? Uh, yes, but I've uh, I've resigned myself to the fact and no longer hassle my younger brother about age ever since he turned 50. So in all seriousness, though, um, as you reflect on your careers, both of you leading innovation, how would each of you describe your proudest accomplishment? I, I would say in general, my proudest accomplishment is being part of the, the LED lighting you know, revolution, the uh, transformation of uh, traditional light sources to solid state LED technology. Consider myself, you know, one of the one of the pioneers, along with Chuck and and others that from our uh, from our industry. Yeah, I think my perspective was LED lighting revolution was certainly amazing. I think for me, being part of a company that went from startup to big public company, I think that the industry part was cool, but that experience. It's just hard to explain how cool that is to see the difference and the change, and the change not only in the company, but in the change I had to make in myself. Chuck, a question you ask um, all of your guests as they come on the podcast is about early life experiences um, and their impact on how you operate in the world. Um, You both grew up in a family of eight outside Chicago, six kids. Mark, you're the oldest, I understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Chuck, you're number five of six. How do you think the experience of... Mark, you being the oldest of six, Chuck, you being five of six, shaped your beliefs and behaviors, maybe particularly around innovation. I think there was an advantage being fifth. You grow up in a dynamic where your older brothers and sisters are the training ground for your parents. And I think by the time the fifth and sixth kids come along, your parents are a lot more laid back. Um, You have a totally different dynamic and you're one of a group. So I think you get pretty good at learning how to survive in a group. And I think it gave me a a sense of confidence. You learn to kind of survive in that environment. And I think it was a huge advantage later on to be able to go out and be pretty comfortable taking risk and doing different things. So I guess from my perspective, it, it probably related to responsibility and accountability. You know, our parents didn't force it on us. But as the oldest, I kind of took it upon myself. I think age 10, working six days a week uh, as a newspaper boy and never stopped working till till recently. But it was always about trying to get ahead, uh, trying to do something different, trying to gain more responsibility. And with that became came accountability. And, and even as it, it grew uh, beyond joining companies that were more progressive, more innovative, you know, initially I worked for General Motors and Went from General Motors to Hewlett Packard, mainly because of the culture that I wanted to uh, be a part of uh, in the early days of Hewlett Packard. Even as far as uh, trying to, when I left Hewlett Packard or or Agilent and went to work for uh, LumaLeds, again trying to be part of uh, something that was going to be groundbreaking and and, and changing. So uh, I would say it was probably just the responsibility and accountability in early age. Yeah. I've heard a lot about how competitive you are. So we've already talked about the competition, about who looks older um, in your family. But I've heard about uh, basketball. I've heard about ping pong. Um, Chuck, I think that you were quoted at one point in time saying that you spend your time being brothers, not talking about LEDs, as you were both uh, kind of working in that industry. But I do know there was a Thanksgiving where there was a competition around light bulbs. I'm wondering if you can explain that story and... Let us know whose light bulb was brighter. So I'll start. 
It's actually a Thanksgiving, and it was actually about a flashlight, an LED flashlight. So for several years, we were both making LEDs, but his company was making a packaged LED, and Cree had not really been in that business for a while. And he was famous for having these flashlights with these really bright LEDs in it. And he would always show up and give me one. He would basically, one year he gave them to everyone in our family for Christmas. And, you know, it kind of felt like, wow, he kind of keeps shoving it in my face. Like, hey, we got this really bright LED. So one year we were going out for Thanksgiving and I told my head of R&D at Cree, I said, look, I'm sick of losing this. What can we do? So he actually took a flashlight that Mark had given me previously, took out the LumiLeds LED and he went and he built a Cree LED that he was confident was going to win. And so when we got there for Thanksgiving, I said, hey, Mark, you got any flashlights? And he pulled one out and said, yes. I said, well, let me show you. I brought one. He's like, let me see that. And let's just say I had my head of R&D had done a great job making sure I had the brightest flashlight that time. So that's what I remember about it. No, that was fun back then because it was we were in the market, but we were at, coming it up from different perspectives. I think probably the most fun was we had common customers common partners. And uh, whenever I would know when Chuck had been in town ahead of me and he would know when I was, you know, when I had been there ahead of him. Did Whether people we were... know you were brothers? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. when he says in town, he means in Asia. towns around the world. Yeah, Asia, Taiwan. So, hey, I heard you were in Hong Kong last week, Mark. Hey, I heard you were in Japan. Hey, I heard you were in Korea. Hey, so- Chuck, I heard you met with that CEO of that company. How did you know about that? Because yeah. the CEO told me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there was... There's 10 years um, sort of between you. How did that impact the relationship between the two of you? Uh, when my mom had Chuck, I was thrilled. And she, and she actually said, hey, we're going to let's uh, we're going to try. You and dad and I are going to try to get at your little brother. Right. And so Chuck was born. And uh, I think by age three, I had a big basket on my on my bicycle for my newspaper out. And I was taking Chuck around everywhere I went, sitting in the big basket on the front of my bicycle whether we went to the McDonald's to pick up something. Sometimes he would go with me on my, on my paper route. I'd even take him to the neighbor's, neighbor's uh, yard. We'd be playing wiffle ball. And by age four, he was a really good wiffle ball player. So he would, uh, we'd be, uh, he'd be on my team. And, and we started, we started uh, actually, we bonded quite well at a young age. Unfortunately, I went to college. And, uh, and so things, there was a large gap there for a while as far as our, uh, our relationship. But then I think it came screaming back probably when, when Chuck came to uh, Marquette. And after that, it, it became a pretty solid relationship as adults. I mean, he had, he had to grow up a little bit, but uh, but uh, and, and he's almost there. Just a little. He's almost there. You, you know, it's funny when Mark describes it. So I think when you're in a large family, having one brother and a lot of sisters, there's a natural connection. You know, I had my parents, but Mark was old enough that he he was my brother, but he was, you know, he was a, a mentor. He was the guy I wanted to be like. I mean, he was taking his little brother around to do these things. And so I spent a lot of time early on trying to be like him. In college, he ended up coming home in the summers between college, and he was the coach of my Little League team. As we fast forward, when I took my job in California, my wife and I moved out there, and the only people we knew were Mark and Jenny and his kids. And so we had a chance to reconnect there as well. And it doesn't matter how long long it's been since we've seen each other, you know, you still have those moments of uh, you're still brothers. So let's tell that story a little bit about you finish at Marquette, Chuck. Fast forward, you guys both are working at HP for about four years. So when I was in my senior year, as I was looking for jobs, Mark made an introduction to me to one of the divisions at HP in California. And so I had a chance to go out and interview for a job there. 
And so when it was time to graduate, that was one of my four choices. And as an electrical engineer in 1989, I could have gone to several big Midwestern companies or I could go work in Silicon Valley for Hewlett Packard. And it was an easy choice. Mark, what was it like for you having Chuck follow in your footsteps in such close, you know, very similar path? You know, I'm not sure exactly how to answer that, but you know, one one of the things that I will say is that people, as Chuck became successful and more successful, they always said, "Does that bother you?" I said, "Absolutely not." You know, th- you know, that's probably one of the coolest things. I was very proud of Chuck's success. I mean, Chuck really never changed. You know, as as he became more successful, he was always Chuck, or as I'll let it be known, he was Chucky. And so it was, it never changed. It really never changed. And uh, I was his biggest fan. I still wanted to win, (laughs) but uh, it was okay if he was doing well. And I would say, honestly, from the other standpoint, I wanted to win really bad. But if we weren't going to win, I wanted my brother to be successful, but I'd been part of that team, right? So, you know, relationships matter in life. And I think that, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was highly competitive, but it never changed the dynamic of the relationship. I mean, you wanted success for the other guy as well. And I have to say, I was really happy to be creating a market that Cree could help fulfill with their with their products. You know, had had it not been for us creating the market, you know, Cree might not have been able to grow like they did. That's a great point because what happened is that uh, so LumiLeds had the first high power white LEDs. They had the technology. They just forgot to go after the biggest market in the world. I mean, we think about innovation and technology as the one big idea. It was everything. The pieces that go with it, but teaching people how to sell it and to use it and design with it. I mean, they essentially created a new distribution sales model that no one had ever seen before. So essentially, you're not just innovating the technology, you're innovating the business model, you're developing an industry, but you really had to think about how are we creating all of these new things that are going to support this technology. So think about, you know, you've, you've got a technology and you've got a bunch of smart people around you and you go, how could we use that? Where could that go? And we came up with all these ideas and we would put our thoughts down on paper, think of it like a marketing brochure. And then, as Chuck said, we had a, a fantastic partner that sent their teams out into the market worldwide and would test these ideas. You know, can I find you, Mr. Customer, does this make sense for your application? And then, then we continued to then follow up on that with uh, developing, helping them develop the, the ecosystem, the, the components that would be necessary, even helping in the design process to get it in. And like any, any market or any technology, once others see it and they start being left behind, then they quickly learn and, and, and adopt. I think the important thing to point out, though, is it wasn't they sat down and said, hey, we're going to figure out everything it takes to sell this. They had ideas. They basically put it out there and test it. And when something didn't work, they would find the next barrier. OK, let's go work on it. So this was not a one day they, they showed up and this whole thing and figured out. It took, I mean, my guess is it was over a couple of years you yeah, really built years. that ecosystem. Yeah. And it was by just trying things. It, it was an amazing market creation where, you know, we all talk about the technology, but if LumiLeds and Mark were famous for anything, it wasn't just the technologies. They created a different way to go to market. What do you think that the relationship of you being brothers in the same industry played in helping to accelerate the disruption um, 
because you were both really closely paying attention to what each other was doing. Do you think that would have existed had that relationship not been there? There were like four or five companies that were really all headed down the same path. And we were, we were all bringing tremendous credibility. I don't think anybody was at all thinking about ripping down the other person. We, we were, I, I, always, I always used to say we were those five companies, uh, uh, we always, I'd say we were all friendly competitors because there was plenty for all, us all to do uh, in, the, in the pioneering days. I would say to Mark's point, yes, except for one thing. So Cree wasn't originally in the club. And so early on in the development of blue LEDs, we bought a small company in California, and with it came the former chief scientist of a company called Nichia Chemical, who his name is Shuji Nakamura, and he has since gone on to win the Nobel Prize for his work developing the blue LED. But when he joined our company, Nichia decided to sue Cree and try to put us out of business. So we actually spent about two and a half years trying not to go out of business in a bet the company lawsuit. Once we got through that, I think Cree became a part of that kind of those five companies. And I think we operated with a bit of a chip on the shoulder because they tried to take us out. As Mark knows and others would know, that's probably the worst thing you wanted to do to the psychology of the people at Cree. I mean, it was, if you think Mark and I are competitive, my first interview at Cree was playing basketball with the founders to decide who could kill each other. That was, that's what normal behavior was there. And so I think once they got our competitive juices going, that actually helped Cree a lot. And we we embraced it. We made that part of our personality and our culture. But I agree, over time, it became the five companies. So we've talked mostly about Mark being at LumiLeds, but Mark had a second career as a CEO. And it's something I actually want to ask him about. So Mark had retired from LumiLeds, and I was still running Cree. And our wives had gotten together and bought us a, a Christmas present together to go to Porsche Driving School. And so I fly into Alabama. Mark's there ahead of time. He picks me up. I get in the car. I go, hey, what's going on? He goes, oh, nothing. And I said, what's new? He goes, well, I just took the job as the CEO of Bridge Lux. And I said, yeah, right. And my, my brother's famous for saying stuff just to try to get me going that's not true. And I'm like, you're, that's bullshit. You're not. That can't be true. Because at the time, Cree was in, had been in a lawsuit with Bridge Lux for two years over patent litigation where they had used Cree technology without our permission. So I know there's no way my brother would take the CEO of a job of a company that I'm in this big lawsuit with. And he goes, well, no, I actually, I took the job. I said, you're so lying. Cut it out. And he goes, no, like, I'm serious. I really took the job. And I just looked at him. I said, you got to be bleeping kidding me. I had no idea in that moment how we were going to figure that one out because it's one thing to be competitors, but I'm running a public company. I'm in a publicly disclosed lawsuit spending millions of dollars. And on the other side is my brother. I mean, it was going to make, I knew from that moment, and it was the toughest time to be brothers and be in the same industry. Now, the disclosure requirements from being a public company, um, my role in trying to resolve the lawsuit. So at Cree, that immediately meant that I was normally very involved in driving our litigation strategy. I had to back out of that because we couldn't have that conflict. It made life a lot more complicated from my standpoint. So I was shocked that day, but I'd love to hear from you what, one, why did you take the job? And you know what were you thinking? Well, I took the job because your job wasn't available to me. <laughs> but all, in all seriousness, no, I had 
retired from LumaLeds and uh, had spent time uh, kind of looking at opportunities. And I knew I wanted to run a company, and I thought by leaving LumaLeds, I would have that opportunity. So I I started uh, looking around. I, I started looking at some opportunities outside of our industry, uh, but still in tech and semiconductor-oriented. And uh, But I knew there was this company local. Uh, it had common uh, industry domain, but they were in litigation. And uh, I and I with Korea, and I thought, oh, this is this will be interesting. But in in all seriousness, I, I probably took it a little bit with my eyes closed relative to the issue that Chuck mentions. There was no way I could have imagined the impact it was on him uh, until later, till I became a CEO. It was just about you know taking on an opportunity to build something again. That is probably one of the toughest times on our relationship because ever since Chuck had moved to California, we had a regular dialogue. But it, it all of a sudden it got really close, closed down. And the other thing that became very frustrating, even in the whole idea of IP and IP litigation or any type of litigation, is normally CEOs talk and they work things out. And I always felt that we could work something out, but not being able to talk to Chuck directly uh, because of uh, the restrictions placed on him, uh, it made it awkward. It made it much, more, you know, much more difficult to uh, uh, resolve. So, now that being said, <clears throat> so we ended up in litigation. The court asked the two sides to go to mediation. The way that works is that I'm in one room with my lawyers. Mark's in a different room with his lawyers. We don't see each other, and this mediator goes between you two, and he tries to convince each side that you're going to lose. You should settle. And the result of this was is both of our sides are more convinced we're going to win and we're not going to settle. So the mediation ends, no progress. And I say to our lawyers, I said, look, I think I'm just going to go out. My brother's here. I'm in town. I'm going to go have a beer with him. You guys have a problem with it? They said, no, go for it. So we went out and we went and had a beer. And it was like, well, that didn't accomplish anything today. And at that moment, I think Mark said, or we both said to each other, there's just got to be a way to figure this out. And so what I did is I went back and while I couldn't negotiate it, it allowed me to get involved enough to tell the team, look guys, let's just really figure out if we want to keep going down this path or there isn't some settlement. And so I couldn't negotiate with Mark, but in the end, our relationship helped get it done, but it was, it was pretty tricky. Um, it was definitely probably the most awkward time in our professional careers together. So I'm curious, Mark, you you used the phrase earlier, you were looking for an opportunity to build. You both have a had just a, an incredible history in your careers of building, building teams, building companies, building industries, building new technology. Where do you think that comes from, that drive within both of you to want to build? I would assume based on, you know, a lot of conversations I've had, I think it's it's something that was given to us by our parents whether they knew it or not. I think it was Mark described it earlier, this expectation that he needed to go accomplish something, prove something, set out to do something. You learn to live with those expectations. And if you eventually embrace them, you actually learn it's fun. Look, our parents had very high expectations, but um, to me, it was an incredibly empowering thing, which was because once you push yourself to try it and you have some success, my confidence only went up. And I probably was fortunate that I often had way more confidence than experience. Well, maybe to just add to that comment, um, one of the things I've many times told my kids, and my wife certainly knows this this as well, but I made numerous job changes as I worked in a big company, working my way sideways and up to, to try to get more experience. I got to the point where I would just tell myself, 
I go into a new job and I really don't know what I'm doing. But I know in six months I'm going to look back and I'm going to have figured it all out. And that's still something I will say. I, I, I think I said to my wife probably 15 years ago, I said, you know, I, I think I can do any job. I just have just give me a little bit of time to to figure it out. Yeah. So I pulled out um, pulled out this quote from um, Adam Grant in his book Originals. Um, he talks about the difference between the logic of consequence and the logic of appropriateness. And he talks about the logic of consequence. Uh, the logic of consequence. We can always find reasons not to take risks. But the logic of appropriateness frees us up. We think less about what will guarantee the outcome we want, and we act more on a visceral sense of what someone like us ought to do. You're not looking outward to see what are other people going to think. Like, I know I can do this, and this is something that I would do. I'm going to go after it. And so it's just, it's really interesting to me that both of you seem to have been raised in an environment where it was just more about what can I do and not not worrying about sort of what's the external consequence. Yeah. And I think it's somehow part of the dynamic of how we grow up. I'm not sure I know how to replicate it, but I think it was there. Yeah, lots of people have asked us over the years, you know, what did your par- how did your parents do that? And we've uh, we've struggled sometimes to answer it, but we 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 know it has something to do with that our dad, who's very different from our mom, but probably had to do something with our family unit, um, and all those things kind of played into it. But but I think you know our dad definitely had you know wanted us to be responsible for ourselves. So the two of you spent a lot of time. I mean, you were working in the same industry. Did did ever come up in conversation or cross one of your minds to say, what are we doing as competitors? Why don't we just start a company together? I know that on vacation a few times, we both talked about how it would be awesome someday if we could start a company together. The opportunities didn't open up at the same time, or we weren't ready to change what we were doing. But I would say uh, we absolutely thought and talked about it, and it's uh, probably one of the few things that I thought about that I never actually got around to doing. I think in our industry, it would have been really awkward and probably legally challenging unless it was – I don't even know what direction we would have gone to, 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 to not get involved with, with um, uh, issues with prior employers. But we did. I mean, a couple of times, Chuck and I did have conversations when I was between jobs, whether I would come to work for him. And that was also complicated. But there's no question there's a mutual respect for each other. And and um, and I would trust him to do anything. And I, I hope he would trust me to do most anything. So, Mark, I'd love to know what your biggest failure is. My biggest f- failure or my biggest disappointment was the inability to survive the downturn in our industry. So I was fortunate to be a part of this LED industry. And we saw nothing but growth for... 20 years. But the last company I was a part of uh, was impacted by the increased competition from China, the serious decline in, in market prices for our products. And uh, what at one point started out to be a company that was going public, and we had filed twice to, with the SEC to go public, all of a sudden we hit the, the famous growth stops. Uh, and without growth, you can't go public, and then you're 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 having to uh, reduce your workforce, which never in my career had I had to do layoffs because of cash flow considerations, and that was that was a an unfortunate ending to what was I thought of just a fabulous time in a in a in a growing emerging industry. Um, relative to what I could have done about it, it's not clear. 
um, the the macro factors were were so significant. I was proud of the fact we kept the company alive till it got sold. I was proud of the fact we never had to raise more capital. I was proud of the fact that we were able to keep our margins up. But if you're in a company that doesn't have growth, there's just no future. And um, and so I'd say that was my biggest disappointment. If you were giving advice to a young entrepreneur, what would be your couple words of wisdom for them? I was talking to someone yesterday, and uh, the person runs a um, an entrepreneurial organization that that has a business associated with it. And one of the things I was afraid of is he's trying to do too much. He doesn't have enough capital, and he doesn't have a clear enough goal or a clear enough uh, set of expectations. And I said, you will go out of business if you try to do too much. You will go out of business if you don't find a, a better source of capital. And your goals need to be big enough so they create excitement so you can go out and raise the capital. Because if you set your goal big enough, you'll figure out the real obstacles you have in achieving those expectations. And there may be fundamental things that flaws in your idea that aren't that you can't get over. Or there may be things that just require much more focus on it than you, than you had ever realized. But I think the biggest uh, misunderstanding uh, in small companies is putting a goal out there, not a five-year goal because no one's around in five years. It's got to be a two- to three-year goal. And you've got to set aggressive enough so that you and or, and or your team rally around it to uh, figure out what do we have to do if this is our goal? What do we really have to put in place? And, uh, and that's what I would, uh, would – that's how I would answer that. Do you think innovation is more about people or process? I don't think innovation is about process at all. I think innovation is about ideas from people. And uh, I think it's about people seeing the good idea then helping to develop that idea. So when you're looking to build a team and you've now, I mean, you were at LumiLed, so you were part of a team and built one while you were there. You get a CEO job, you got to build another team. Then you get a different CEO job and you've built another team. So you've done this multiple times. When you're looking for the right people, is there a favorite interview question to see who they really are? If I was hiring people for the team, I'd be looking for someone that was fairly passionate, that had a, a common sense, but passionate. In the companies I ran in recent years, it wasn't about the weaknesses, it was about the strengths and, and then our ability to manage through the weaknesses. And uh, some of those weaknesses as companies grew became issues. But when you're trying to build something, it was much easier to focus on the strengths. Usually, I was not afraid to hire someone that had a negative tick, as long as I knew what all of the positive attributes were. Thank you so much for um, just sharing your your experiences, um, sort of breaking up the, open the relationship a little bit between brothers, but also, um, Chuck, I would underscore what you said about relationships and that we don't talk enough about it. Um, you both talked about innovation is about people, and it's really about the relationship between people and how can we harness the best um, that other people bring to the table? How do we play to their strengths? Um, so I've learned so much uh, from both of you today, but just really grateful to have the chance to sit and chat. Well, Kate, thanks for being the host today. Um, you know, when we came up with this idea that we would bring Mark on, Look, I spent, he's been my mentor my whole life, and so it was really fun to get a chance to actually ask him some questions I've never asked him. You know, there was no doubt in my mind I learned not only hard work from my dad, but from my brother, and 
If you're going to do something, do it right. And a lot of those really basic things that I've carried with me my whole life. It was great to have this conversation to do this with Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Mark for joining me on Innovators on Tap and to Kate for guest hosting and bringing some unique insight of her own. If there is one thing that you take away from this episode, I hope it's that you understand the power of rivalries. Mark and I competed on many levels, both personally and professionally. And what I found is that having a rival isn't bad. It can actually be very motivating and help your success. It's how competitors are able to bring out the best in each other. My brother has been my role model, mentor, coach, rival, and competitor over the years. But no matter the circumstances, we've always been brothers first. That relationship has provided motivation, inspiration, and maybe even a bit of consternation from time to time. Oh, and do me one favor. If you happen to meet my brother, please tell him that he looks a lot older than me. If you found value in this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, because I think we all know of things that could use some innovative thinking. Please feel free to contact us through our website at innovatorsontap.com. We are always open to new ideas or critical feedback. My belief as an innovator is anything you do today can be done better tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Let's go change the world.